The information presented is in no way to be considered as a standard of care, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. The information is provided with no guarantee. All content is for informational purposes only and does not constitute providing of medical, legal, or regulatory advice. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Blue Career Medicine. This is going to be part two of our series that's at the Mississippi Trauma Symposium down here in Biloxi, Mississippi. This part, we're going to have a couple of other fine clinicians join us. One of them is going to be Beth Huffmaster, who's going to talk a little bit about PTSD and trauma patients and correlations and some interesting stuff. And then Dr. Michelle Gorth is also going to talk to us a little bit about PEDS TBI and the concussion clinic and some of the things she's been doing there over the last few years. All right, guys, well, let's get started. Let's go ahead and uh, talk to Beth a little bit. All right, everybody. I'm here with Beth Huffmaster from USA, mm-hmm. and so she kind of come stopped by. We're chit chatting a little bit, and she started telling me about this PTSD stuff she's been doing, and some of the research she's been part of, and with her trauma patients. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sit down. Let's 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 talk a little <laughs> bit about it." So, Beth, can you tell me a little bit about some of the research you've done? Especially, you you talked to me briefly about. Um, children and adolescents that have had some kind of traumatic experience or had something going on, an adverse event, and then how it deals with their PTSD and how that correlates um, with their PTSD with trauma. Yeah, sure. So um, there was some uh, research done back in the early 90s. It was called um, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Uh, it was actually started by a preventative health physician um, who uh, was part of Kaiser Permanente in I don't know, San Diego, Anyway, this man owned a a weight loss clinic and um, he started surveying or surveying patients because he had these patients that were losing 100, 150 pounds and then they would fall off the face of the earth. Then they would um, he couldn't find them. And then when they finally came back, they had gained a significant amount and very quickly back what they lost. And he actually started um, interviewing the patients because he was so frustrated. He's like, what is it with this outcome? Why, why in the world are you doing all this? Right. Yeah. Like, why is this happening? Because, I mean, he's a preventative health yeah. physician. That's his, like, life study. Um, and he was just, he had gone through, like, maybe the two or 300th patient asking the same exact questions. He tried to create a questionnaire. And the question that he was supposed to ask was, um, how old were you when you first became sexually active? And to the lady, he said, instead, at a slip of the tongue, because he was so tired, and it was just something he just did every day, he said, how much did you weigh when you were first sexually active? And the uh, respondent said, 40 pounds, and then burst into tears. And he was kind of like shook a little bit because he wasn't, he was like, whoa, what happened? And she said, I was four years old the first time by my father. And it kind of like struck this idea in him, like, well, maybe this is what's happening. And so he added this question a little more tastefully asked um, and then started investigating other other childhood trauma experiences. Um, And from there, a 10 point questionnaire was created. So it includes things like abuse, including physical, uh, emotional or sexual abuse in childhood. And so these things have to occur before the age of 18. Uh, neglect, either if they were emotionally or physically neglected, or any household challenges. So things like, was anyone in the household incarcerated? Anyone have uh, mental illness? Was there any suicide attempts? 
Um, did anyone in the home um, do drugs or any kind of, or, or did the child witness um, uh, domestic violence? And what they found in the study when they initially um, looked at about 17,000 patients is they found that anybody with four or more ACEs had significant chronic illness in adulthood. So this led to people who had like four or five fold risk of committing suicide, having mental illness, uh, diabetes, hypertension, cardiac disease. Now he was just like perplexed by this. And so um, as people have researched this and become more aware of how impactful it is on adulthood, they've realized that a lot of kids are experiencing toxic stress, meaning you and I, if someone's running after us with a knife or a gun, we go into a fight or flight, we have this whole like, you know, full adrenaline response, right? But kids who are in a chronic state of needing to survive are living in the state. And because of that, these hormones that they're getting is very damaging to their organs on long term. Your body is not made. You're, you're to, staying in that readiness state, that catecholamine right, dump at a constant. Right. And so this is just creates such like. Um, Takes a whole new meaning to that. Take 10 years off my life thing. Right. So interesting you say that because um, then what they found was a scores of six or greater it is noted that people have a 20-year reduction in lifespan. So the more traumatized you are, the more likely you have these chronic illnesses. So my sweet sister, who's actually sitting right there with me, she um, went through an adoption journey, and she started learning about ACE scores, and she has adopted two international children uh, with special needs, and she has currently three foster children in her home that are all a sibling set. Um, and she did a lot of education, trying to educate herself. And I just kind of was so fascinated by what she was learning. Cause it's just a, something I'd never heard. Right. But at the same time I was walking into working in trauma as a nurse practitioner. And I started being like, I'm noticing some of these same behaviors, like in these adults that I'm dealing yeah. with. But really, when you really dial it down, these adults are probably just children from hard places. It's just like these foster babies. That she it's has. just a continuum. Right. And so I got real curious about it, and I was like, you know, and, and when I had this opportunity um, to do a research study, I decided to, hey, I want to see what this is about. I'm just curious. Let's, like, let's look at, at this and see if there's any correlation, if there's any, you know, anything we can gain from this to help us treat our patients, take better care of our patients. Um, and so I did a study. We had... Uh, we did over three months. Um, we looked at um, what we call a uh, PCL-5, which is uh, the DSM-5 uh, criteria for the diagnosis of PTSD. Um, in the veterans uh, community, when they go to the VA, um, a lot of times they're administered this questionnaire every time. And as the questionnaire, the number fluctuates, um, they can tell whether or not treatment's working, if their symptoms are worsening. Um, and you can also uh, diagnose acute stress disorder, which is basically the symptoms of PTSD in the first 30 days. Mm -hmm. um, usually you don't see symptoms until about 72 hours after the insulting event. And then they start having the, um, you know, the whole cycle, the whole going cycle through, yeah. all the symptoms. And so essentially we did that. We had 147 patients we actually put into the study. Um, that's, and a, then that's awesome. A high percentage of them and I can't remember off the top of my head, um, tested positive for acute stress disorder. I want to say 96%. Just um, a small number there. Not, not right. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't have the number. Oh, no, no, no. I, that, um, but you can actually. I, I was like, okay, maybe 70%. You said 96%. Okay. But acute stress disorder yeah. it doesn't always go on to develop into PTSD. So we do need to do further research with that. 
I was a one man show trying to gather all this data. So that was the about best that I could do. something patients. That's yeah, pretty dang good I went for to work one, every one day. woman show. I mean, that's awesome. I did. I went to work every day and surveyed all these patients. And I learned so much from doing it. Um, but with all that said, what we found in all of it, and the most significant thing was that it didn't matter if you were shot or stabbed or in a car accident or fell off of a roof, your chances of having these symptoms was more associated with your adverse childhood experiences than it was associated with the actual event that happened. So someone could have shot you, you could have had a car accident, but if you had a pretty significant childhood trauma, your coping ability after that act car accident was, was pretty bad. And we were seeing that in the hospital. That's interesting. I've never, I mean, now that you say it and you've done this wonderful study, it makes perfect sense. It does. Like, I mean, like, you're like, well, that's two plus two. That's definitely four on right. that one. But I would have never thought to study. I mean, I just would have like anecdotally X, you know, okay, right. well, if you had some experience trauma before and you keep on getting it, you're probably not good with it. And you're probably, like I said, taking 10 years off your life. Mm-hmm. And you just don't, you don't make the association. And it's just, it seems almost too easy to think about. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if you have patients who are so traumatized, um, uh, a lot of times they actually impede their own own uh, advancement in their care. They impede their care because their anxiety is so out of control. Well, and you, you see and it all the time in the issues. unit. I mean, I now, I, full disclosure, I'm more emergency medicine than yeah, anything yeah. else in the world. But yeah. so a lot of my friends work in the TICU at UMC. And mm-hmm. you can tell people that are super anxious, that don't do well, they have a they stay in the hospital longer, right. they don't do well on the floor, they don't want right. Transition from any space to another, and it, it makes sense. If you've got somebody that, uh, say, has a gunshot wound, comes in, gets all the things, open chest, fun stuff, intubated right. for several weeks, and they have a really bad medical case, but they're already used to that at home, it's really hard for them to get out of the hospital. Right. Those patients end up sitting on the floor for three, four, five, six weeks. That's right. We see the exact same thing. And um, to further the matter, what we found was more significant of the 10 questions. We did an um, analysis of the actual questions, each one. And the two that were significant were if you had ever been physically abused or you had witnessed domestic violence. And so um, it's bodily harm, right? Yeah. So there's So there's this book, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. Okay. And it's almost as if, my body's experienced this trauma before, and it's just reliving that experience all over again, making everything you're in this, I don't trust, fight or flight, I've got to survive, and you just can't get past that moment. And so because of it, you 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 suffer um, and don't progress as you should. And it makes me wonder, like, so if you can teach, now some of that stuff you don't want to have to teach how to deal with it, but if you can teach and structure that of how do you cope with things and how do you deal with that stress initially and give people... I won't say the right treatment, but the right opportunities to right. escape um, that event or that situation or whatever, would that improve that or would that help that? Yes. Yeah, so there is hope. Um, there is more um, research that has been done and they have found that children that have more benevolent experiences or more positive experiences. So they have good mentors. They may have a terrible home life, but they've got a great coach. They've got teachers that care. They have a neighbor that cares or an aunt or uncle that like, hey, I know this is a very challenging childhood, but I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to provide, um, you know, whatever I can do. And give, him, give him a positive influence, a positive role model, something right. that they can structure their, their life and their situational awareness on. Correct. And so one of the things that, um, you know, 
Dr. Williams at our trauma center has developed is Project Inspire, which takes that element where they take um, kids that are um, at risk with uh, gun violence. Um, they typically have been involved in some kind of like uh, gun uh, charge. Yeah. Um, and then they, um, they bring them in and, and they come into the hospital and we don't do like the scare tactics where we take you to the morgue and let you watch your trauma roll in with yeah. like blood everywhere. I mean, they do kind of experience a little bit of that, but we want it to be a positive thing. So um, Dr. Williams has done an amazing job at developing that, and uh, she would be great to talk with you about that. But We're I can tell you, that, yeah, you should. Um, but it's just so awesome to watch. We see them at the hospital, and they can choose to like follow anybody in the hospital. They stay with us for three weeks. So maybe one week they want to follow a nurse. Maybe one week they want to follow one of our trauma surgeons or one of the rad techs or mm-hmm. one of the maintenance guys, well, whoever they want to. Yeah, it's workforce development as well at the same time. Mm-hmm. One, you're selfishly recruiting for the center, but two, you're letting them see, hey, this is a positive light. This is something right. else beyond that. So you don't, and we, I know you've seen thousands of patients too that I don't want to go to the hospital or I, mm-hmm. I don't want to be in the hospital. Exactly. They have that, whether it's them, their family member, whatever, probably that traumatic event or right. Effect, uh, right. associated with a hospital. Right. And so it's been really amazing. She's had a, a great success rate. I don't think she's, um, I think she's had one repeat offender in the last, I think COVID. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been amazing to watch. And, you know, she does things like gets, they get a Stop the Bleed certificate. She, they teach them that class. They teach them basic life support or, you know, the community CPR mm-hmm. class. And so they get certified in these things, and it feels like there's an accomplishment. There is, hey, I can do this. Hey, there is something positive I can do. Um, and so we try to, like, give them all these positive experiences, feedback, meet people that they normally wouldn't meet and provide right you know, experiences they normally wouldn't get to experience and say, Hey, there's a different world out there and you don't have to walk down this path. Yeah. And they still keep in touch with her and talk with her. Um, you know, some of them have gone on to go to school, have gotten jobs. Um, they even go with them and they teach them how to interview. They help them with a resume. So it's just such a positive experience and she's had some great success with it. Um, and it's really a, sh- a, a bright, shining place uh, in our in our trauma system, for sure. That's, that's great. Making it, again, making that bad day into something a little bit positive. Right. That's, that's awesome. I'm, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, well, great. Thanks for coming to tell us about it. That's Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. Ex- excited to share always. <laughs> Thanks. All right, everybody. I'm joined by Dr. Michelle Gorth, who I've had fortunate enough to work with for the last couple of years at UMC. Um but she was walking by, and we kind of said, hey, Shannon, stop me. said, hey, we need to get Michelle on here. So, uh, by all means, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Will. I'm excited to be here at the Tros- uh, Coastal Trauma Symposium. Uh, I'm here as, you know, part of my expertise in pediatric traumatic brain injury, so I'll be talking about that tomorrow. Um, and happy to be with you guys. So, don't, I don't want to give away all your lectures. That's not, that's just, that's cheating. But, um Tell us a little bit about what you're kind of going to talk about in pediatric TBIs. Well, I think the biggest thing um, for the focus of this lecture is really that acute period, that evaluation period for emergency medical services, for emergency department, and kind of the importance of recognizing it, how important it is that we talk to patients and family once we do recognize it, 
Um, and what we need to do as providers, what's expected of us, what are the new standards of care, what's the evidence-based guidelines for what we do, and also recognizing those disparities in care. Uh, as we know in Mississippi, we have many of those, and those certainly apply to traumatic brain injury. Definitely, there's a correlation there that leads down a slippery slope and just gets ugly after a while. Absolutely. So, I, just for me and pediatric TBIs, so I fly a lot of them, um, you get to take care of after I bring them to you. Is there something you wish you could say to pre-hospital or those transferring in, like, hey, make sure you do this or make sure you do X? Well, I think it depends on what we're talking about. So when we think about traumatic brain injury, there's a very broad spectrum of what encompasses mild traumatic or traumatic brain injury. We have mild, which when we say mild traumatic brain injury, most people use the layman's term concussion. Um, what the definition of that is, is rapidly changing over the last 10 years. Uh, the, the football world has... Which is what I deal with a lot. Right, and it's, the, man, it's... The football well, world has really changed, um, which is good, um, has brought to light some of the, the long-term impacts of concussion. Uh, most of us, when we were younger, uh, for those of us who are adults now, they kind of patted you on the head or the shoulder, the bottom, they sent you back out on the field. So sports-related concussion has taught us a lot. Uh, unfortunately, there's still a lot we don't know about pediatric trauma because a lot of times they don't really present after injury. Um, there's there's a lot of work. Like I said, most of the research um, revolves around sports-related concussion. Those are easy to capture. They're easy to see. But it doesn't actually show the complexity because when you think about forces of injury, on the scale of forces of injury, even though it looks severe on the field, when you compare it to a motor vehicle running at, you know, 40, 60, 80 miles an hour into a tree, those forces don't even compare. Right. Even when we think about soccer, um, heading the ball in soccer is the equivalent of a junior welterweight punch. So as you think about forces and mechanism and repetitive forces, uh, what that injury looks like in terms of developing brain, and that's a, lot, a little bit of what I'm going to talk about tomorrow, kind of what makes kids different, what's the pathology uh, and the pathophysiology that makes them different, and why they are at higher risk, especially with the developing brain. Um, and for every child that's injured, their concussion is different. Uh, so it really requires a lot of individualized care. Now, there are some standards that we're held to. We're going to talk about those while we're here, kind of what the new guidelines that were released in 2018 by yeah. the Centers for Disease Control kind of say is best practice. And even since then, we're, we're learning more and we're doing more research. Um, before I left for my current role, um, you know, I developed the concussion clinic at UMC. And uh, I was in the process of working with one of my partners at Duke to look at RNA transcription mm -hmm. with saliva for um, non-sports-related concussions. So can we identify those children who may be at risk for those prolonged or protracted recovery from even mild concussion? And can we provide interventions earlier so that we can ensure they have a good health-related quality of life? And they are not having long-term impacts from that. We know that traumatic brain injury in terms of disability and, and function uh, is, one in, is the leading cause of disability in our country for, for adults. For, and exponentially so. Right. And so 
where does that really start? Um, is, and it, is it the little concussion here, little concussion here, build? I think Tua Tagovailoa is a great example of watching somebody that has had multiple concussions over the years and seeing them get worse. Absolutely. And so when we think about concussions, it's, it's not like having a sore throat. Uh, you have one sore throat, you take a round of antibiotics, you're done with that episode of sore throat, and it's not the same. When we have concussion, the injury is there and, and damage is done. So when we think about concussions, and one of the, the highest respecter that we know right now for having that prolonged or protracted recovery is a prior head injury. So it exponentially adds. So instead of adding them together, I had two sore throats. It's more like multiplying. Yeah. So with two it's the super bug. It's a yeah. It's uh. So, and I'm gonna I'm gonna share some cases tomorrow of, of what looks like a simple injury, but really had significant impacts on children and their life and their social development. Um, and so it can really get sticky, and it takes a lot of time to evaluate those kids. But you know, tomorrow will be a little bit more focus on that. EMS group, the early evaluation, what's really important. There aren't many injuries um, that when you come to the emergency room and you visibly look okay, if you walk out the door and do something that caused that injury or get in another injury that could potentially put you in coma or cause you death. Yep. I, you know, on, off the top of my head, I really can't think of any. We're not talking about medical conditions, but when we talk about trauma, you yes. know, you can only break your leg so much. Right. It, eventually, it just becomes Play-Doh and there's nothing. To, you, you can only have so much steel. Right. Um, and so the biggest reason why we have all those talks, you know, a lot of times in trauma, the, our main goal is to prevent the injury in the first place. But after it's occurred, we, we, can't, we can't control that. But what we can control is helping the best way we know how to ensure that it doesn't happen or they have worsening injury uh, because traumatic brain injury is not, you know, you're fine in three days. It's not, it's just a headache. You'll be better, right. um, which is a lot of the conversation in the emergency world um, because when you're triaging patients and you see the child with a concussion sitting in your waiting room, either leaning on their mom's shoulder or playing their video games, that is the least priority in terms of emergency care. But if they go out, they go play, they get involved, even in a small injury, they can have a second impact syndrome that caused them brain swelling, rapid brain swelling up to, you know, significant cerebral edema and death. And that's why we have all these concussion laws. That's why we have all these safety protocols in place, not just for kids, but for adults, adults too. Yeah. We saw that this year uh, in Miami yep. with Tua. And, and I'm going to have a video clip of that mm -hmm. tomorrow to remind us it helped my job be a little bit easier. Yeah. Mine, I would say mine and sports medicine are way easier now. <laughs> Much better is like, remember that Tua case? And let me show you. I pull it up on my phone. It's like, this is the reason why, uh, you know, you can't do those things. And, you know, usually m most parents, um, Sometimes when they come home, come from the emergency department, they come to see me in clinic, or if I've seen them afterwards, I say, they come into my office and I've read what happens. I say, tell me about your traumatic brain injury. They look at me in disbelief. Nobody told me they had a traumatic brain injury. They only told me I had a concussion. So I think one of the elements for us as providers and emergency care providers is, is making sure that we're using that language that helps them recognize that this is a big deal. And bring that full disclosure not only to the patient, uh, you know, if it's a, a adolescent, they're obviously going to comprehend this pretty well. 
But the parents as well, like, hey, yo, they got a concussion. Again, reduce that stigma like we talked about. I got it when I was a kid of, oh, you're fine. Just go back out there, play some more. Well, um, and it's really hard for athletes, especially when they're in their later years of adolescence. Mm -hmm. They're leaders on their team. So I use the Concussion Legacy Foundation's Team Up Speak Up program, uh, which is kind of like if you see something, say something. Um, when you know you're not at your best, and you know you still have symptoms, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting your team and right. you're risking injuring your other teammates because your reaction times or your coordination is not as good or your clarity of thought to process as quickly as you normally would. Um, it's just, it's that onus of, hey, look, I'm not 100%. I'm not going to go out there and do it. It's yeah. no different than me saying I'm not 100%. Hey, I didn't sleep last night. I walk into a flight shift, go, hey, guys, I'm, I'm Right, I'm, I'm not 100%. Yeah. We all have good days and bad days, but concussions can have a lot of bad days. Um, and how long that lasts a lot is that really early compliance with uh, rest and, and compliance with the restrictions. Um, and when to go back is a tricky, tricky event, especially in younger children. Uh, you know, the older athletes I can send to do Buffalo concussion treadmill testing. I can send them to PT. I can put them through the ringer. I can work with their athletic trainers that they can say, Yes, they're ready to go. But the other piece is not just the physical piece. How are they performing in a classroom? So always return to learn full academic capabilities before I ever return anybody to play. Um, and I think that's another element because yeah. school is the work of children. Um, and if they are not performing their best there, they're not performing anywhere uh, at their best. But I really use that team up, speak up mentality for especially the older adolescents. Um, you're a leader. It's time to show your leadership. It's time for you to show those younger athletes what it means to be injured and how to take care of yourself. Be there for them, support them, cheer their on if you're capable, because sometimes yeah. they're not capable of tolerating the noise and the sound. But when you are, be on the sideline in your jersey showing that leadership. Um, and that usually does uh, pretty well for them. Sometimes uh, I get the kickback from the kids or sometimes the dads, yeah. uh, even sometimes mom, because they, they put a lot of money well, and it's, it's energy. It's money-driven, and they're, they're putting their life, you know, they're going to all these tournaments all over the South and everywhere else and, yeah. or where have you. And, and, and they've invested, mm -hmm. um, and I want them to be able to do that, okay? That, it, it's important for people to know that providers who treat concussions – our main goal is getting you back to your baseline as efficiently and safely as possible. And I, I, I make a promise to them. If you work with me and are honest with me with what is going on, I promise you I can get you back on the field as fast as I can safely. Right. Okay? And so that's the point that we're always talking about injury prevention. We're always talking about safety every time we meet. Um, and I ask them to be honest with me. Are you a hundred percent? And they'll pause and be like, mm. and they know they're not. Yeah. And I said, that's what I thought. And that's okay. It's okay to not be okay, but I have to know how to, how to manage that with what's going on with them because it's an invisible injury. Um, you have to go with how they feel. Some physical things I can bring out in examination, but I can't bring out the emotional components really. They, they have to share that they're struggling. Um, so there's a big psycho, psycho, psychological component to this um, in working with our psychology teams and schools and, and, and all the support services. It's a, it can take a large team to get somebody recovered. Um, they talked about adverse childhood events today. Sometimes those concussions are not from sports. Um, we've had 
children thrown Plenty down. of NAT and everything else or just... Plenty of non-accidental trauma. We, we've had a, a, you know, one of my partners and I, um, former partners, you know, had a kid thrown down the stairs at school. Mm -hmm. He was scared to go back to school. He was seven. Um, and, and so that's a, there's a lot more than just the injury. Uh, and so when I worked in the pediatric surgical world and, and in the trauma world, it's not just what we do to them, it's what we do for them. Um, and allowing them the space to be safe and comfortable and building a relationship with what's really going on with them. Now, in the ER, that's real hard. That's <laughs> sad. I would say the, the world I live in, it's super hard. But it, It's real hard, but... I was talking to somebody earlier. It was like, man, if you take two minutes and say, hey, walk... Like, for me, I'll give an example. Walk in. Hey, I'm Will. I'm with that helicopter that's out front. How are you? Like, yeah. just no BS, super calm. Right. Hey, man, what's... Now, I'm walking in the dorm or tubing in lines and all the things yeah. going everywhere. That's a little different. That's a different situation. But if you've got a... A mild TBI, like we're talking about, or hey, they might have a small little bleed, and we're really we're thinking this is more of a concussion that was just there. But make them feel calm, make them feel comfortable, and you start—I won't say you start the recovery process, but you start them being able to process things. Absolutely, because with an injury, just like anything else, there's a stage of grief mm -hmm. uh, that you go through, um, and it's difficult. And I will say, sometimes it's even more difficult for kids who are highly intelligent when they get back to school and they can't do the things they used to, to be able to do really quickly. Um, or they have subtle things. And I experienced a concussion uh, myself um, in, I think it was 2017, and I was walking across the campus and I was happened to be wearing heels that day. Most day I wore scrubs and, and tennis shoes, but my heel got caught in the concrete. Um, my, my body went forward my heel stayed in the dirt between the concrete. I did not strike my head, but I certainly had impulsive trauma and rolled over into the flower bed. It was very graceful. It sounds, it sounds beautiful. It was, I mean, it was like a magical flowers and all kinds. Right. Of it looked like the ballet competition uh, that's coming to Jackson. Not a fruit basket turnover and papers go flying everywhere. It wasn't. Yeah, uh, it was, it's, it, it wasn't that quite dramatic, but uh, certainly embarrassing. Um, but I knew I was concussed. Yeah. And even a month later, I could not remember my administrative assistant's name and secretary, you know, who had yeah. been my administrative assistant emailing, talking to every day for seven years. And, you know, it, it comes in little spurts like that. It Symptoms come and go based on the stress of your brain and, and the load that it's taking and where it is in its recovery. And so you really have to tell people, you know, kind of how to watch for those things. And that's the biggest thing that we can do in the emergency setting is, number one, you have to make sure you're safe. It's not just, your CT's fine. That's usually what I hear. Oh, yeah. Uh, the CT's, CT's fine. CT's good. All right. So you don't have that massive subarach. Great. Right. And, and And differentiating between you still have a mild traumatic brain injury. There's nothing on imaging. We can't even see that on imaging. Um, that, in the common term, that's a concussion. Mm -hmm. And so in the interim, these are the things that you need to be looking for. There's also a group of patients who are really at risk um, for prolonged recovery, even before their injuries. So kids with uh, pre-morbid neuropsychological conditions, right. ADHD, learning disabilities, dyslexia, uh, any type of anxiety, depression. Um, and I mentioned that higher, pre uh, higher head injury. So those are our prior head injury those are really big categories and we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow with some case studies of of kids um and again they look fine but their function and their health related quality of life is not good right
So um, this week we'll mostly just be talking about that acute setting, how to evaluate those patients. Are we using standardized tool, which is which is the best evidence? I don't know if y'all are doing that. Uh, we do a modified version just because it mostly because of time and correct. and where we are. You know, trying to do something in the back of the ambulance is not. It's not ideal. Not right? ideal. Uh, you know, in the sports world, they have SCAT five yep. now, which is um, what we're using. That's what we use a lot. In right. The sports world. Um, in the sports world, but you know, as you get. Yeah. Right. If it's not sports, what do you do? What do you use? Uh, what's appropriate age-based tool? And so, you know, you want to make sure we're using a valid tool. And then we're talk really talking to people and taking just that couple of extra minutes. Or we're tailoring their discharge instructions uh, for their particular condition that says, if you have these things, you might be at risk. You are at risk. It doesn't mean you will have a longer recovery, but you are at risk. And we need to be paying attention to that. And then making sure that we incorporate everywhere the child touches. So every caregiver, aunt, uncle, school, daycare, so that they really know they can't go play on the playground equipment. They have to put their feet on the ground. They can't go ride the fair ride. Right. Um, and so really talking about those restrictions. And that's usually the hard part. That's usually where the tears come. Uh, when when I see patients, the, the toddler breakdown is going to happen. Uh, well, the toddlers don't really appreciate. I'll tell you, they're the hardest people. <laughs> they're the hardest group. To I, my four year old, there's no way in the world. Right, and you're you're just like no, 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 yeah. no. You're, I mean, you're just you're like oh my gosh, we're going to have another concussion. But um, it really is. You have to be intentional, just like you do when you make your kids put on their seatbelt when you get in the car. Um, till they get to the point where they know they're really not supposed to participate in those activities. And some people don't have the capacity to understand that and do that yet. So as, as, as parents or caregivers or, or, or whoever's watching the children, they really do have to um, be mindful of what those kids are doing with very, very close supervision. It's interesting to me, like you said, how far concussion stuff has come. And especially the last 10 years, the last five has been exponential for me, just in my own world, but the last 10 especially. And then EMS, it's hardly talked about. So I'm, I'm glad you're coming to speak tomorrow. Um, but it's usually, again, kind of like thrown in the wind. All right, let's talk about mild, moderate, severe TBIs. Okay, yeah, you hear categories, but that's about all you hear about them. Correct. And it's not taught in medical school. It's not taught in advanced practice nursing. It's not really talked about in PA school. So one of the things that, that I have done over the last couple of years, um, you may have seen me with Heads Up Mississippi, which was a collaborative uh, really focused on injury prevention and education for concussions. Um, it was a, a, a non-funded grant that we worked through with Safe Kids, who's here with us today, the Brain Injury Association of Mississippi, um, the Mississippi High School Activities Association, independent school. I mean, we've worked a lot going out, um, doing educator training, doing uh, nurse training across the state in every school, going to high schools. Um, and so now uh, I am working with the Mississippi State Department of Health, uh, serving as a pediatric traumatic brain injury expert with their uh, injury prevention and violence committee um, and our CORSIP team for our state to really look at strategies to globally educate. So I am willing with that group to come and talk 
anywhere anybody wants me to. I'm very passionate about um, that. I usually bring a concussion simulator with me so people can experience this experience it i went to the coaches conference which took us a long time to get into because they were really resistant yeah. oh, to yeah. talking about it they're a little more open about it now um we went several years ago maybe four or five years ago mm -hmm. to the coaches conference that's held in jackson at the hilton and uh, most of the coaches like i don't need to see that i've already had one i yeah. kind of know what that feels like but i've been to the children's museum and when parents especially young mm -hmm. parents or new parents they're like oh my gosh i think i've had a concussion before is this what this feels that, like? And that's that's how I felt. First time I was around one, it was like, oh, this, I, yeah, I definitely have given concussion multiple times in my life. Yeah, I've definitely had a concussion before. And so usually when I talk, I kind of do a before and after who's had a concussion. So after I talk, I can kind of see where even yeah. healthcare providers oh, yeah. uh, don't even appreciate that they might have had one before. So I am willing to come wherever, whenever we've done as low as Head Start. And I'm actually working on a, um, a pilot program right now with Head Starts across the state of Mississippi to really get that education in young for teachers and parents, because those are real critical uh, periods of brain development. Um, and then we're also working at the high school level with the Brain Injury Association um, through our core SIP group. Um, we have a lot of a lot of group of people who are really passionate about injury prevention and advocacy uh, for, for trauma and, and, and traumatic brain injury is just one of our areas. Of course, we're looking at suicide prevention and gun violence and a lot of those other elements that plague us uh, in the trauma world. Um, but we, we had some health science students make some, some videos about what concussion means. So we're, we, I have probably personally delivered well over 50 presentations in the last, you know, couple That's of awesome. years, even through the pandemic, I went to the <laughs> museum. Um, I've done some virtually, but we've done from Head Start to healthcare providers. And so whatever your audience is we will work on a way to tailor your needs. Um, we went to Holmes Community College um, for their staff and faculty meeting because one of uh, the vice presidents, uh, I believe it was a vice president, her daughter got admitted to the hospital and she was just amazed at all the, yeah. the things. So she invited us to come and talk at their faculty meeting. And um, we went and talked. They had a great, we had a great time there. Um, which includes some EMS training staff there at the Ridgeland campus, right. which is where it was. Um, but I happened to go back to talk there when my daughter was doing dual enrollment about maybe taking some extra classes before she went on to college. Um, and one of the teachers came up to me and said, oh, my gosh, I wanted to tell you. I'm so excited to tell you. After you guys came, I had a student who had a car wreck and... I did what you told me to tell, what you told me to say. I asked her what her schedule was and she didn't remember it. And I immediately, we worked with her and we went and we modified her schedule. We, we got all of her coursework makeup. We really supported her to that recovery. And then three weeks, she was kind of back to normal. But if you had not been here, I never would have known to ask her and talk about that and recognize that it's a problem for her learning. Um, and, and so, you know, from a teacher perspective, you just dismiss it, right? You're like, oh, they just, okay, yeah, car, that's just an excuse. That's as, just an excuse. as somebody who's, who's been a faculty member, um, you know, I previously served as yeah. the pediatric and neonatal nurse practitioner program director at UMC. If you came to my class and you weren't participating, you either need to do what <laughs> you need to do while you're here or you, or you go home. And that's right. the way, you know, high school teachers, they don't have all this leeway 
they can't make and it's not it's not that the student doesn't want to it's part of the disease process Correct. it's part of what goes on and then and by you taking them out of the picture that actually hurts their recovery process and delays it even more correct because as soon as we can as soon as functionally we want to get them back integrated into their daily schedule and if they can't go full days we want them to go half day with support where do they need to sit in the classroom do they need to test in private some of those things the school can do we call those tier one educational interventions it's your classroom you can put somebody whoever you want to in a classroom right but they need to know that those are accommodations that should be made um, with brain injury, or at least be aware. So, like I said, I talked with, um, we did the entire uh, school nurse training for the state of Mississippi. We did That's awesome. That, we did that's it on awesome. the coast. We did it in uh, Brandon, and then we went up to Tupelo and did it. So it's mandatory training. Um, so we were really able to kind of at least get those schools that have school nurses saying whoa no we you know hang on like time out here we gotta get we gotta right everybody's and, be on the same team and gives them some some resources for how to screen patients um and and what to do um when you have those students um and work with their sports teams also to help recognize and track those students and i would love to see the state of mississippi develop a concussion plan within the Department of Education for those students who are injured. Um, you know, there's not a lot out there. Some states do have some more robust, um, you know, resources at yeah. their state to, to kind of manage those students. Uh, Canada has some plans for return to learn, right. um, but we haven't quite made it there. Um, but there are certainly opportunities for us to ensure that we are meeting the child's needs during that recovery process. Now, some kids do need 504 planning. They may need formal IMPs because IEPs, um, which they may have permanent injury. Yeah. We had a, I don't know, um, it was maybe 2013, 2014, we had a school bus wreck in the, yep. the, um, I can tell you the zip code, <laughs> um, but, spare that, but, but yeah, I, I personally saw 23 kids total from that across the span and we saw that many at um umc at that time um many some of those got admitted some of them did not um and we kind of worked with the other providers that were seeing concussions um i saw several of those in my follow-up trauma clinic at that time and a year later three of those students still had pretty significant deficiencies these are from a higher socioeconomic group, it was, mm -hmm. um, all in the same school district. They were all on the same bus, so they generally lived in the same area. Um, and so you kind of equate that to the same socioeconomic status to some degree. Right. Um, and so some of those kids have pre-morbid issues. Some of them did not, but some of them now have permanent issues right. um, with their recovery. And what was different about those kids they all had the same mechanism. They were all on the same bus, but that's kind of the point of concussion. Every single one is different. And every one of them is treated different. You can't just say, I mean, I would love a cookie cutter sheet that says this is how this is going to go every time. Oh, now, there's some cookie cutter sheets out there that are great for concussions, the, the how to assess them or how to reckon, like those ones, but the recovery stuff. Yeah, challenge. there's there's certainly, um, I, I heard at your physician not too long ago, uh, no offense to him, if he if he listens to this podcast, I won't I won't name any names, but it's like, ah, oh, concussion, that's cookbook medicine. It's not. It, it's really not. Um, nope. Live or die, yes, that's pretty easy. Even in more severe TBIs, 90% of children survive those. 
Um, so they can have long-term deficits from that. Um, but yeah, we have screening tools. Number one, we have to use them and make sure we identify them. And the other thing I see is they really don't put that diagnosis on them. They say blunt head trauma, mm -hmm. vehicle collision. Or uh, what was the last one I had? It was a. So sometimes when we transfer to patients, you get the you get the discharge summary with them that they're supposed to give to the parents. But it, it was a um, head hematoma. <laughs> I'm like, yes, there's a bruise there, but there's definitely like a TBI. Yeah, <laughs> and, like we're putting them in a helicopter here. Right. And so you really do have to, as the provider, really put that diagnosis label on them. Because if you don't, when they go back to the school and you just say they have a closed head injury, what does that mean? It's, that's, and it's that's so really, different. That's really just the mechanism of what right. happened to them. But what is their injury? What are their symptoms? What do we need to do for them to make sure that we get them through that recovery process? And it's not always easy. And it's, you know, sometimes it requires some, some, you know, you have to think about how far do they live away? We don't really have a lot of resources, especially. Well, how, do they state. get follow up? How often do they get follow up? Can we get them there? Do they have the socioeconomic status to drive? All, I mean, all those, it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference in recovery. Um, and so that's why I say I'm happy to go wherever, you know, if, uh, you know, I've, I've done education like I said, I've, I've been from Picayune to Pascagoula, from Corinth to Clarksdale, um, back to the central part of the state, um, you know, talking to anybody that will listen. You know, if the Garden Club wants me to come, I will come to the Garden Club. If, you know, sports teams want me to come, we will come and, uh, and provide education based on the needs of the group. Because um, what's important for parents to know is not necessarily the same lecture or activities that it would be for a healthcare provider. Right. Um, and so we really want to tailor that to the needs of the community, um, work with our partners uh, across the state who have interest in injury prevention. Like I said, we've done tons of stuff with Safe, safe Kids. We, I just talked at the um, Neurotrauma Symposium uh, put on by the Brain Injury Association. So we want to get those trauma teams, EMS, providers, parents, teachers, um, you know, the Boys and Girls Clubs, whoever is involved in the care of children and the oversight of children and the caring of children, we want to be there. Um, it's really important for our state um, to make sure that, that we are doing our best to have the best outlook for children and that we have systems in place that meet their needs. That's awesome. Well, Michelle, appreciate you sitting down with me today. Uh, My pleasure. Always good to talk to you. Absolutely. I'm happy to come back anytime. All right. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Blue Crew Medicine.